Hare Krishna. In the, in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes how the material nature is working automatically and that one who becomes covered by illusion begins to think that I'm making it work. But the material nature is running as if it's a machine and we as conscious beings are within the machinery. For instance, this body is a biomechanical device and it has various functions that we have nothing to do with, like the digestion and the respiratory system, the process of homeostasis through which we maintain our temperature at 98.6 and so forth. These are all going on automatically. And so Krishna says that a person who's enlightened becomes aware of the fact that it's going on in spite of me. And he says, he, he lists a number of bodily functions in a row, like naiva kinchit karomiti tatvavit pashan shrinvan svasanjigran ashnan gachan sopan svasan pralapan vishrinan grinan unvishan nimishan napi indriyan indriyarteshu vartanta iti tarayan. There's a way that uh, we're handing things over, we're accepting them, we're, we're evacuating. We're breathing, opening and closing our eyes, like right now. We're not aware that we're doing it. We don't think about it. It just happens automatically. As far as our breath is concerned, my friend Satyadev Prabhu, who's a paramedic for 20 years, said, actually, we're not breathing, we're being breathed. So as if we're on a breathing machine, because we can't really stop breathing. And so what Krishna says in the verse I just quoted is, that naiva kinchit karumiti. Kinchit means something, and naiva kinchit means that the, the self-realized person understands that nothing is going on in this body that I'm in control of. It's all happening by the force of material nature. And that I'm the resident in the body temporarily, and it's, it's working, but I'm not the one that's uh, overseeing it. It's already overseen. So the vision of a person who is spiritually minded is that I'm separate from the body. And this is confirmed remarkably in the Vedas. A sango hyayam purushaha, which is an emphatic statement, meaning that as a soul, we have nothing to do with this body or this world for that matter. It's superfluous to us, but we make it our own by becoming attached to it. And it's somewhat reasonable to become attached to it because it's a reflection of reality. Just as it's reasonable for a child to see a mirage in the desert and then to think there's actually water there. In fact, I had an argument with my parents once when we were driving across Death Valley. My brother and I were in the back of our Volvo four-door sedan driving across the desert for some reason and we, my brother and I, saw water and my parents said it's not really water but we were emphatic about it that they were wrong. But as the hours wore on and the water receded as we drove, we started realizing that we were wrong and they were right. And it did look exactly like water, but they had more information than we did about the mirage phenomena, and therefore they were able to tell us what was really going on. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna has obviously a, a better perspective than I do, and is letting me know what the actual situation is. Asango hyayam purusha, that's not from the Bhagavad Gita, but it's it's a definitive statement from the Vedas which says, Asango, we don't have really any connection to this material world, no valid connection, no valid reason even for being here. 
Sangohi ayam purushahad, oh living being, you don't really belong here. This is not your, your place. And therefore, if you ever feel out of place or frustrated with the material energy, don't feel too bad because it's quite natural to be at odds with the nature of matter in, it, in that it is gross and we are subtle. And the, the subtler entity can never enjoy a grosser energy. So then Krishna describes a little more about the automatic nature of material of the material world. And he, he describes in the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, which is called Attaining the Supreme. So in this chapter, Krishna's concerned with answering some of Arjuna's questions about what is the soul and how does the soul get different bodies and what happens to the soul after it leaves this body. So Krishna says in two very directed verses, they're very um, clear that when you leave the body, whatever your predominant thought process is, whatever you're most attached to, what you're emotionally connected to, will inform material nature of how to accommodate you. It's an accommodating process. It's not punishing. I'm punishing myself by desiring the wrong thing. If I ask for something that is substandard and then it's given to me, whose fault is it? What do you think? So I, asked, I didn't ask for the right thing. So I have to be up to the task of asking for something better. That's when I have clearer consciousness. If you've ever noticed that when you're in clear consciousness, you ask for something that's beneficial for you. And when you're in not so clear consciousness, you may demand something that is harmful. It may be even poisonous or something like that. People, I have to have it, I want that, but it's bad for you, it'll kill you, it's like I want it anyway. This is irrational. And it's the result of the dread disease of the material world, which is called avidya, or ignorance. So Krishna consciousness means to come on the other side of ignorance and to understand what my real position is and what's beneficial for me. And in light of that, Krishna explains that whatever kind of consciousness I develop in this lifetime, if it's by default and I just go with whatever happens, I don't really plan ahead, then oftentimes we know from our lives when I don't plan for something, then I don't get everything that I want or need. As Louis Pasteur once said, great discoveries come only unto the prepared mind. So unless I prepare myself and I develop the propensity to think of Krishna and to be uh, attached to those things that are spiritual, then when I transfer from this body, Krishna says, yang, yang, bhapi, smaran, bhavam, whatever way your emotion goes when you leave. I met somebody who was leaving his body and he was trying to make up for lost time because he really hadn't practiced Krishna consciousness very seriously up until the last couple months of his life when he found out that he was gonna leave and he told me that at that point, the momentum was so strong towards collecting and holding on to things here in the material world that it was very difficult at the last moment to just give everything up. And he was very sincere about it. Oftentimes when people are getting ready to leave their bodies, they have a kind of honesty about them because what else do you have to lose? Not really trying to protect anything. I've had that experience a couple of times now, being around people just ready to leave their bodies. So Krishna then says, because this is one of the ways that material nature works automatically, it accommodates us according to our consciousness, he, he says, tasmat sarve shukale shuma manusmara yudhyacha. Tasmat sarve shukale shuma manusmara yudhyacha. That uh, therefore, tasmat sarveshu. Sarveshu means, uh, and kaleshu means in all places and in all times, therefore, tasmat. Sarveshu kaleshu mam anusmara yudhyacha. 
you should uh, arrange, uh, organize your life in such a way that you can always remember me. Even as, you're, as he's talking to Arjuna, he's saying, uh, even as you're fighting this battle, he's about to go into the Kurukshetra battle, he said, even as you're fighting, you should remember me. And then, uh, if you do this throughout your life, as you're working, as you're raising a family, whatever kind of occupation you're engaged in, then if you remember Krishna when you're doing that, then you'll be prepared when you leave the body to also remember Krishna. Um, that's the last two lines. And that he said, then without a doubt, you'll be able to remember me when you leave the body. And and then he goes on to mention how uh, there's ways to think of him. Kavimpuranam anushashitaram anur aniyamsam anusmeradyaha sarvasyadatanam achintya rupam aditivarnam tamasaparastat. He names uh, various features to think of him as the greatest of the greatest, the smallest of the smallest. For instance, Prabhupada once talked about, and, and these sort of charming ways to realize that one can think of Krishna uh, was the smallest of the smallest. Prabhupada once talked about a mos mosquito and said, who has created the mosquito? He said, the, the United States Navy can create uh, airplanes that fly very fast, but can they make a, an airplane that flies very fast that's this size? <laughs> but to speak of one that reproduces? So, uh, and then he also says, Kavim, think of me as the, the most intelligent. You know, if you've ever met somebody who's intelligent, it's quite enthralling. I have, I have a couple of friends who are very intelligent. Uh, to me, inconceivably intelligent, which isn't hard for me to be around people who are inconceivably <laughs> intelligent. But when I get around them, I, I'm, it boggles my mind. How, how do you do that? It's amazing. And th there, a small sample of what Krishna's intelligence is like. We have the example of Sarvabhauma Bhattacharya, who is such a great scholar that he could memorize whole books. And we may think in this day and age when it's hard to even read half a page without getting distracted, like, how does he do that? But in those times, 500 years ago, there were, there were people like Sarvabhauma Bhattacharya who could memorize whole, what speak of one book, many books he memorized and gave commentary on, and he was famous everywhere. But when he met this 24-year-old, who was Krishna, in the guise of a devotee, and they had a conversation, at least for the first seven days, when Sarvabham Bhacharya thought, I'm gonna teach this young person a little something about, about philosophy. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a beautiful young sannyasi, sat and listened, and he didn't ask any questions. And Sarvabham Bhacharya then, after seven days of continuously instructing, said, don't, don't you have any questions? Mahabhu said, not really. He said, well, did you appreciate what I'm saying? He said, not really. <laughs> he said, well, what's wrong with it? And he said, well, there's a lot that's wrong with it. He said, well, tell me what's wrong with it then. So Mahaprabhu then, uh, on his request, began explaining why his explanation was not correct. And Mahaprabhu's explanation to Sarvabhama Bhacharya, the most intelligent person of the time, was mind-boggling. And he came to this conclusion that this has to be God, because nobody can think like this. Uh, kavim, that means kavim. Think of Krishna as the most intelligent, as the most learned, uh, a kavi. Kavi also means a poet, someone who could write poetry backwards and forwards. Do you know there are poets that can do that? The poem, can work backwards or forwards. There's a book that's uh, written by uh, the Goswamis where they write poetry that works backwards and forwards. So Kavim Puranam, Puranam means the oldest, who's the oldest person. So if you meet somebody who's been around for a while, it's kind of interesting. It's like, really? You were there in the 60s? What happened? Did the Beatles really break up because of Yoko Ono? You know, you, you ask all these questions and then uh, what about the oldest person who's been there since before anybody else was? So there's uh, Puranam, the, the oldest person. Of course, Krishna, although he's the oldest, 
he doesn't look old. He, he's al he always looks youthful, around 16 years of age, as budding youth and uh, beauty. Anushashitaram anur aniyam anusmahedyaha. So he's uh, the greatest. He expands himself into everything, and it's, his energies are unlimitedly expansive, and actually the universal form of Krishna, as described as Krishna describes himself in the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, that he is this universal form. I spoke about a mosquito, and I think I just saw one. Monkeys, mosquitoes, and death, they all come unexpectedly, according to my friend Guru Kripa. So, um, he's... Uh, the universe, his body, he takes on the body of the universe. So he's the largest, he's the smallest, he, that is, he can enter within the atom. Andantarasta paramanu chayantarastam. And he's also the maintainer. He maintains everyone. And this is very interesting, and we can observe this, how Krishna's maintaining everyone. I have a, a friend who's a spider who lives in, um, in my bathroom up in the corner, right above where I brush my teeth. And, you know, I visit him from time to time and just marvel at him and sometimes ask, you know, how do you maintain yourself? <laughs> and it's interesting because it seems like a stark environment. It's just a bathroom in the middle of the suburbs. He lives in one corner of the ceiling and he seems to be doing okay. Uh, he gets things to eat, and I'm thinking, how did you pick this place? And then I thought, well, how did I pick my place? And you can think, how does anybody pick any place, and how are they getting along there once they get there? And Prabhupada mentions this about himself. He said, I came to a foreign country, and I didn't have any money. He said, but I, I did fine. I got something to eat. I always had some place to stay, and therefore... Uh, one can trace back, who's that? Who's maintaining? The, the, the Shastra says, Nityo nityanam chetanas chetananam eko bahunam kaman. So this is the relationship. We are eternal beings, conscious beings, just like Krishna. Only our relationship is that we're maintained and he's the maintainer. I can't say that I'm the maintainer. But he's maintaining every living entity. And therefore, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, think of me in this way. This is how you can think of me as the maintainer. Just notice who's maintaining. And Narada uh, gives some advice about this in the Bhagavatam when he mentions, Tasyaivaheto prayateta kovido nalabhyate tad brahmatamu pariyada tadukavat anyata sukam. Means that don't try for more maintenance because you're already being maintained. It's going to come to you one way or the other. Don't try more than necessary. Don't make it inordinate to, to work so hard just for maintenance because the maintenance will come. He says, rather, you should instead... Uh, Put your enthusiasm and your industry into developing your spiritual consciousness or into your developing Krishna consciousness because that's the part that you can expand upon. He says the other part, you're not going to get more or less. And by the way, even if you do get more, it doesn't mean that you're going to be better situated in the world. People who have more money, for instance, or... Um, a better body, aren't necessarily happier than other people. This has been studied empirically. And so remember that uh, Krishna is my maintainer. It's actually even one of the uh, limbs of Sharanagati or the, the path of surrender to Krishna is to depend on Krishna, to, to think I'm being maintained by him and also protected by him. So these are ways to think of Krishna, and one can cultivate this. 
And then Krishna talks about the mechanics a little more about what happens when we leave our body. In the 15th chapter of the Gita, he goes on to say uh, that um, He explains how our consciousness is very subtle and he describes it to be like air passing through various environments and then picking up the scent of the environment. And so when I, as a conscious being, mix with various kinds of people, I pick up their moods and their methods naturally. You start acting like they do. Even I'll pick up the accent. It's very subtle, but I, I start developing the same kind of consciousness that they do. And so if you meet somebody who's been associating with a, a well-known person in the community and then it's like, oh yeah, you're talking just like he talks. You're kind of acting like him too. It's quite natural. So Krishna says that the, the way that you mingle with the various modes of material nature is the way that you'll, your consciousness will be scented like that. Or in another place, it's called uh, colored. It has a certain hue. And in this case, not to mix metaphors, but it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's a scent. You know, like if somebody has uh, been um, connecting with the lower modes of material nature, like engage in sense gratification, then when they come into a group of people who are more refined, let's say, are getting up from Mangalartik and chanting really good rounds and reading and maintaining the four regulator principles, it'll be noticeable, the dichotomy. The person who walks in will notice like, oh, I'm kind of like a, a duck in the midst of swans. And the swans, although they'll be compassionate, they'll notice like, this guy's been eating pizza somewhere, <laughs> you know, because I can smell the garlic. And, and it's not necessarily just garlic, it's, it's like the scent of the person's consciousness. Like, yeah, we need to help him. He, he needs a little association. So we pick up the subtleties of material nature by our association. So, that's what I just talked about. Then he says, that uh, when you step out of your body, utkra, utkramanta, utkrama, ut means out, and krama means to step. So, we step out of this body, kind of step out when we go to sleep at night, and then there's a time when we really have to step out. I mean, we stepped into it at a particular point as we were accommodated by material nature. We kind of got used to it. You all used to it, being in this body? You get used to it after a little while. So I was like, yeah, all right. Uh, I guess I'll accept the name I was given, and you know, here's who I am, and you kind of go along with it. And then it's like, okay, time to change. I had this experience recently on Zoom. Has anybody heard of Zoom? <laughs> yeah, became quite famous during the pandemic. We live there. So on Zoom, there's uh, breakout rooms you can do. So we had a big Zoom call. And then I was asked to go around to various rooms and sit in each room for about five minutes and then move on to the next. And I had no control over when I was going to move. Somebody else was controlling the buttons. So I was in the room, and I'm talking, talking, and interacting, and all of a sudden, I just like, mm. and I'm in a new environment with new people, seven new people in the next room. And I thought of this as analogous with this idea. You step out, you move into another place. I don't have any control over it. I'm just being moved from one place to the next. So there I am in the next uh, context, talking to new people, same thing. I come out, there's people hanging over my bedside. It's like, who are you again? He's like, we're your parents. And by the way, we've got a name tag for you. It's Schnicky. And <laughs> so your new name is Schnicky, and your new, you know, you got to live in a family where they like uh, carpet instead of wood floor. And, you know, all this stuff, like, okay, you got to live with it. So 
Ukramantam stitam bapi, bunjanam bhagunam bitam, vimuda nana pashanti, pashanti jnana chakshusa. He says, Krishna says that there's, there's a way in which if a person is uh, trained in the knowledge that we're talking about now, he or she will be able to understand what's happening when we move out of one room into the next, from one body into the next body. He says, uh, you'll get fitted, perfectly fitted with a kind of nose, tongue, ears, eyes, sense of touch. All these are fine-tuned. It's not by accident, it's not random. It's perfectly tuned to my consciousness. In fact, this is a um, phenomena that is uh, documented by Patanjali Muni in the Yoga Sutras. And he talks about how our new body, the body we have now, is the filling in of a mold that we've created from our own consciousness from our previous life. And if you can imagine, just uh, make it clear, if you're walking on a wet beach and you look back and there's, you're making footprints now, let's make it mud. So it's mud, it's, make it, it's a little uh, deeper impression perhaps. And then someone comes along and makes a, a mold of that. For instance, with plaster of Paris, you can pour it in there of your foot. And then when that dries, you'll get a perfect uh, replica of your foot through that process. So he says, uh, we create these impressions in our consciousness that get filled in by material nature in the next life. And then uh, we get a particular kind of body. Shotram, chakshu, sparshanam, cha. These are naming all the different senses. Uh, and then he says, yatanto yoginas chayanam paschantyatma nivastitam. That a person who's trained in, in this yoga process and be, it will be able to see what's taking place. But those who, who aren't trained, they, they don't prepare themselves for this. Um, they don't know what's happening. It just becomes a confusing and very scary process of moving from one uh, physical body to the next. So uh, we're not ultimately meant to cohort with the material nature or to stay in a, a material body, but we're meant to develop our consciousness so that when we leave the body, we are uh, already in a relationship with Krishna. Even as we're living in this body, we're liberated because we're no longer, we no longer consider our, ourselves residents of the material world, nor do we consider the body to be mine. Now, this is a very important point because the senses that we now have are bequeathed to us. They're a gift accommodating our previous desires. Now, the essence of devotional service is given in a very famous verse, which Rupa Goswami quotes in his Bhakti Rasamrita to Sindhu, where he says, Sarva padi venirmuktam taprapvena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchate. This is very practical because he says that to make advancement in devotional service, you should know that the senses that you now have are meant for serving Krishna. Now, if you know that, and you're able to enact that, then you'll be free. And your senses also, right now, no matter how attached they are to matter, they'll gradually become purified, and the propensity to uh, cohort with matter will uh, diminish, which is a miracle, because it seems impossible doesn't it? That I have a habit, I can't get rid of it, how am I going to do this? And then by chanting Hare Krishna, by hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, by associating with very advanced devotees, then suddenly I see a gap and I think, well, maybe it is possible because I just felt a little twinge of strength in my heart. And then I feel like maybe I could do this, so maybe I'll try a little harder. Because, you know, when you're starting to improve, then you think maybe I'll lean into it harder. You're playing an instrument and you figure like, hey, I just got that. Maybe I'll practice a little harder, right? So with devotional service, we feel like that also. We try to improve ourselves. The formula is simple. 
And once we understand the simplicity of the formula, we can apply it in our lives and keep coming back to it and we'll have success. So here's the formula. Everything that we have around us in our environment of the world is paraphernalia to be used in the service of Krishna. Everything that I have in my environment, including my body, is paraphernalia meant to be used in the service of Krishna. Now when I apply that, then I'll become free. Because it all belongs to Krishna. And if I can direct my desires towards serving him and using whatever I have right now in his service, then I'll become free. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, He gives the example of a, a lotus, and he says that the lotus is in the water, but it's never touched by the water. Brahmanyadaya karmani sangam tyatva korotiya lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa. So the, uh, the lotus is called the padmaja. So ja means to be born, and padma means mud. So it's born out of mud, and it grows up through the water, and then it alights on the surface of the water with its really beautiful leaves and extraordinarily, startlingly beautiful flowers. However, even though it's born out of mud and it lives in the water, it's never touched by the water. And you have to look at the lotus to see how that works because although it is uh, surrounded by water and water splashes on it, it just rolls right off because of, of the surface that it has. It's quite a unique surface. And so Krishna says, when we have this vision that I'm not the controller or the owner, I'm the one who's using it in service to the owner and the controller, then he says you'll never be, uh, become degraded by it. But the second I think that it's mine and I'm going to enjoy it for myself, the very second I become degraded, that second, instantly. It's not that you have to wait for a while. You'll instantaneously become degraded by touching it with that. In the intention is I'm touching matter and I'm thinking it's mine to enjoy and control. And when that, that happens, I become degraded and I can feel it. So uh, when I change my intention, how I move in the world and what my relationship is with my body and with all the things in the world, and then I see that it's all paraphernalia to be used in Krishna's service, nothing can touch me. And so a bank teller, sits in the bank all day, counts millions of dollars, and then uh, doesn't become liable to pay any taxes on the money. He counts it because it's not my money, it's somebody else's money. And if that person takes one dollar out of the stack and says, I'll just keep this later on for a, a cafe latte. You can't get a cafe latte for a dollar. But if it was 1956, maybe you could, but there weren't cafe lattes back then. Uh, then he takes $1 out, then he's liable. He's stolen. And it's instantaneous. That person will be uh, relieved of, of the occupation. He's violated. So the moment I touch anything in this world, anything with the intention that if this is mine, I'm going to enjoy it and control it, that's when I become liable. Then you've got to pay tax and penalties. So to be a free soul, sarvam yat Everything in the universe is controlled and owned by the Lord. Everything animate or inanimate within the universe is controlled and owned by the Lord. One should therefore accept only those things necessary for oneself, which are set aside as one's quota, and one should not accept other things knowing well to whom they belong. That's Krishna consciousness. And having that awareness that this is not my body. I didn't create it. I'm not controlling it either. However, I can use it in service. And so using the senses in Krishna's service is the topic of devotional service. And it's practical because we can't stop using the senses. If I say I won't desire anymore, that's impossible because desire is the nature of the soul. And I also have to maintain my body, so I have to work. So if you work in the spirit of devotion, 
and you work using your senses to serve Krishna, then you'll become free soul. And then, when you leave your body, remembering Krishna, then you won't take another material body. You'll, you'll get a spiritual body. So now we'll take a few reflections or questions so we can expand the conversation. That is, if you'll be willing to cooperate with that proposition. Yes. No, please, please. Um, Marj, I initially had a question. You obviously answered it, but I thought it was um, actually something that was worth noting, at least for myself. You had initially talked about the importance of knowledge and how you compare somebody that doesn't know versus somebody that has some knowledge in the example of the parents and you having that experience with Death Valley and seeing water, but it wasn't really water. Um, and that helped me realize and, and remember that actually even getting knowledge is not even enough. For example, in my state, there's so many things that I have learned, yet it's actually really sad that even having that knowledge, I'm still so attached. And it's actually, I feel like I can't act in the right way, even though I know that's what I should be doing, and that's what is in my best interest. So my question was, how do you kick that? How do you, how do you separate yourself when you, when I actually do feel like I am material because that comes so easy for me. Materialism, actually, I don't have to work for that. It's actually very innate. It feels like that's my identity. So, but then I learned that that's actually not the case. So, you obviously answered the question by saying, you know, chanting and associating with those that have achieved that. But um, it's still a difficult, Thing to navigate even after some years of practicing, so maybe you can give me some. Help. Sure, it, it's it's a question that Devahuti uh, asks of uh, uh, Kapiladev that, uh, that she had declared at the beginning of her uh, conversation with her son, where she approached him and asked him for for him to teach her about devotional service. And she said, I'm sick and tired of my senses. This is a, a good place to start. Of course, uh, one must realize, as Prabhupada quotes frequently, Beautiful prayer about a devotee who feels that uh, he's asking himself, for how long and how many ways have I served the bad masters of my senses? They never gave me time off. They never gave me mercy. And I never questioned them. I just kept serving them over and over again. But they're durni desha, they're bad masters. But Utsri Jaitanta, Madhupate Samprata, love the Buddhis. Now I've gained my intelligence because of association with devotees, and now I want to serve Krishna. So Devahuti says that it seems like I'm my body. I've been in this situation for so long that I can't distinguish between myself and my mind. How will I ever get out of this? It seems impossible. I'm inextricably connected to, to matter. And Lord Kapiladev said, it's possible. You can, if you hear for a long time, he emphasizes here for a long time, and go on uh, with your services in devotional service. And then he gives this example of how the stomach digests food. I'm not aware of how it's digesting, I just sort of depend on it that it will. And it distributes all the various nutrients to the parts of the body that need it. And similarly, he says, when you practice devotional service, that your subtle material body will be digested by the process itself. And um, Ajamil, he was dharmic. 
and he also had knowledge, but he still fell down. And what was the missing point there? He didn't have bhakti. And when he got a connection with the holy name, even a little bit, just a tiny bit, that gave him the strength to rise above the ocean of material existence. So the, the holy name and the process of chanting Hare Krishna are very powerful. And once some disciples of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur had come to him uh, very concerned and they said, you know, we're chanting Hare Krishna and we feel like we're not making any progress. And he said, well, how long have you been chanting now? And they said, 10 years. He said, oh, good. Because if you had told me that you thought you had made significant progress after so short of a time, then I, I would have been concerned. <laughs> and Sharu told me that he once asked Prabhupada in Australia when he was in Sydney in 1970, so Prabhupada, how long does it take a chanting Hare Krishna before we actually become uh, you know, realized? And Prabhupada said, 40 years. So chant for a long time, a, a lifetime of chanting. Of course you'll feel it in the beginning. Even when you take to the devotional service with the slightest intention, Rupa Goswami says, uh, the beginner will immediately feel some relief from material distress and also feel that life is auspicious and will also feel transcendental pleasure just in the beginning from taking it up because it is so powerful. But the lingering effects of my involvement with material nature are a kind of mercy. And here's why. Because if it wasn't ultra sticky, when I start to come to realize that my ultimate goal of life is to reach Krishna, and then I start to realize how much I've implicated myself in the material world, Jai Shishi Panchatapaki Jai Jagannath, Swami Valadev, Subhadra Ki Jai, Giriraj Maharaj Ki Jai, Gornitai Ki Jai. Here's why. Because those who begin to notice their sincerity rising, and that that means I really want to get out of the material nature and I really want to serve Krishna, then they start to notice the implications of their, of their involvement with the material nature. Before that, I think, eh, it's all good. It doesn't really matter that much. But when I really want, want it, that's when I start to see how I, my involvement with material nature has been um, implicating. How implicating? It's, on one side, it's quite implicating because there's a way in which the, the impressions stick to me even after I've surrendered. And therefore, Krishna gives uh, some encouragement. Would you like some encouragement? Yes. So first of all, he says in the Bhagavad Gita, Apichet Sudracharo. You'll find this in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Apichet Sudracharo Bhajite Mamananyabhak Sadureva Samantabhya Samyag Vyavasitohisa Shripram Bhavati Dharmatma Shashvash Shantim Nagachati Kontaya Pratijani Nami Bhaktya Pranashati these two verses go together. The first one says, Krishna says, apichet, even if, apichet sudaracharo, even if somebody still has this tendency towards worldliness, if he or she is properly engaged in devotional service, it means that your intention is, I want to become a pure devotee, and I, I want to serve devotees. That's your intention. And you're going on with it, even though you're really bad at it, because you're waylaid by these tendencies to want to enjoy the material nature. And then Krishna says, he's talking to us, he's saying, you have to consider that person a sadhu. He's emphatic about it. He said, this person is a great soul because their intention is correct. Then he says, Sri Prabhupada very quickly that person will become purified. Of course, quickly means, okay, maybe a lifetime, maybe a few, a few lifetimes if you really want a, a, a sublime destination. For instance, Bharat Maharaj took three lifetimes before 
he attained complete perfection because he needed a little extra work. So Krishna accommodates for that. It's like, okay, you get a little extra time, you want to work on yourself in various ways. And even before one goes back to Godhead, there's an opportunity to take birth in the pure environment where Krishna is doing his leela. And then you really come up to speed and are purified enough to go back to Godhead. Uh, other evidence given in the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam where Krishna himself says, Swapadamulam bhajata priyasya taktanya bhavasa hare priyishaha which means that if someone's performing devotional service and he or she falls down, that, that the atonement is to keep doing devotional service because Krishna has entered within the heart of a devotee and knows the intention and therefore will help purify, not to be taken to, uh, as an entitlement because that's an offense, seventh offense is to think that because I'm doing devotional service, I can do whatever I want, and it will make up for it. So don't think like that. But this is to show how accommodating Krishna is once we decide that we want to become Krishna conscious. Even though we may not be good at it in, in the beginning, he says, keep going. I'll give you one more. Uh, again, from Krishna, in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, he says... Um, Jatashada makkatasu nirvina sarva karmasu. That Veda dukatmakam kamam spritya pritya pianishvara tatoba jetamam prita shradhalur jodanushchaya chushamanam shamam starkam dukodarkam stagaryan. So this verse means that when one's faith has awakened in hearing and chanting, it's like, I know this is good. It's the right thing. It's, it's the pure path. It's what's going to, uh, it, it's, it's the topmost system. I know it. So that faith has awakened. Shraddha. Jata, jata means it's awakened. Jata shraddha matkatasu nirvina sarva karma. And I actually know that I'm, I, I'm disgusted with material life. And Veda dukatmakankamams means I know that my involvement with the material nature leads to misery. But paritya kyanishvara means I don't have the strength to not engage in the material nature. I'm still overpowered by it. So what does Krishna say? Keep going. Tatobajetamam prita. First of all, he says you're very dear to me because you're trying. Shradhalurjudanishjaya. Keep going and uh, with determination. And he says you can have a little bit of remorse, but not too much so that you say, I just can't do this. No one can ever claim to be permanently unqualified. Because anyone, says Bhaktivinoda Thakur, can rise in due course of time because you're a soul. And you can, you're, you're, better, you're better than this. <laughs> Schnicky. <laughs> you can rise. You just have to take advantage of the process, and especially association with those whose intentions are pure. Because that will rub off, and that's the most important point. Hare Krishna. Okay, we're definitely running out of time here. We'll take. Uh, yes, Prabhu. Yes, Prahlad Priya Prabhu. Many years ago, decades ago, I, I was with His Holiness Ramanath Maharaj. It was after a reading of Chaitanya Charitamrita in San Diego Temple. And I said to him, I asked him the question, Maharaj, what if we engage in Krishna consciousness, but for some reason we come to an unfortunate quick death where there's literally no time to think or no time to fix your mind on anything and he laughed and he said he said Lord Chaitanya will force himself into your heart and mind and I never forgot that because we never know how we're going to go or if we're going to have time sometimes it's fortunate to know ahead of time having said that having said that to address your point about Entitlement. Yogeshwar, our God brother, asked Srila Prabhupada, if at the end of every chapter of Bhagavatam it says, simply by reading this you'll no longer have to take birth in the material world, he said, then why, why carry on? Why continue? And Prabhupada gave the example about the ticket, first class ticket to the train. He said, so you have this ticket, 
But if you're not on the track when that train leaves, the ticket is useless. So sometimes we think like that, how, what happens if we're not remembering Krishna? And as long as we're in association and practicing, I trust what Ranath Maharaj said, that Krishna, Lord Chaitanya will force himself into your heart and mind. So that's very reassuring for me anyway. Thank you, Prabhu. Very salient and important points. Do you have a Sri Shapanishad available from the front lobby? I'm pointing to Veda Vit, Prabhu. Sri Shapanishad? Could you grab a copy? Unless it's difficult. If it's not, you can just get it on your phone. Mantra number 17. Mantra number 17 is Vayura Nilam Amritam Atedam Bashmantam Shariram Om Kratos Smara Kritam Smara Kratos Smara Kritam Smara Let this temporary body be burnt to ashes and let the air of life be merged with the totality of air. Now, my Lord, please remember all my sacrifices. And because you're the ultimate beneficiary, please remember all that I've done for you. Here it is. See, if you ask Vedavit Prabhu for anything spiritual, he'll manifest it within, especially books, he'll manifest it within 30 seconds or less. And here in the 17th chapter, the reason I bring it up is because this verse is about um, remembering Krishna at the time of death or not, as the case may be. And here Prabhupada says, unlike the simple animals who have no developed mind, the dying human being can remember the activities of his life like dreams at night. Therefore, his mind remains surcharged with material desires, and consequently, he cannot enter into the spiritual kingdom with a spiritual body. The devotees, however, develop a sense of love for Godhead by practicing devotional service to the Lord. Even if, at the time of death, a devotee does not remember his service to the Lord, the Lord does not forget him. This prayer goes to remind the Lord of the devotee's sacrifices. But even if there is no such reminder, the Lord does not forget the service rendered by his pure devotee. It's a similar implication. So, everything is recorded and counted, and we have a span of life that is available now. We should take it. Jandarananda Prabhu said before he left, don't waste time. And so thank you all for not wasting any time and taking the process of devotional service. Om Tat Sat. <laughs>